Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger. I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart and Then Go Save the World. That book is going to be out in January 2019, but I didn't want to wait until that time to start talking to superheroes of love. And guess what? Here's the news. You are a superhero of love. And through talking to other superheroes like yourself, tapping into that little superhero inside of you, I'm hoping that you and I and all of us start feeling more and more like superheroes of love, meaning that we love and are loved more than ever before. So welcome. Let's get this party started. Superheroes, we are here today with Claire Byrne, and I'm talking to Claire. She's in her house, I'm in my house, and we're having this. We're, we both live in Los Angeles. It's the most hilarious thing, you guys, because we're look. We can see each other on video, and she has sunshine behind her, and I'm not in front of my window, so you don't see that I'm literally in pouring rain. And it's the most hilarious Los Angeles day, where half of Los Angeles can be in pouring sun and pouring rain, and the shadow and the light. Right? It's such a great, just such a great. I <laughs> so Claire Byrne is, I'm so excited about Claire Byrne. I listened to, she just started a podcast and I listened to all the episodes. She is so awesome. She has also a website, ClaireBurnCoaching.com. Claire your mind, Claire your mind, clear. I am speaking to the, the voice of clarity today. And the most exciting thing, you guys, is if you're in Los Angeles, she is going to be hosting my event at the last bookstore on April 4th. And I want everybody in Los Angeles to come and meet us both. So come April 4th to the last bookstore. I'm so excited. And a shout out to the person who introduced us because she is an angel incarnate as well. Meg Cassidy. So, and if you ever need a PR person, a PR consultant, Meg Cassidy, who I learned about through Jen Pasteloff, who's another angel incarnate. So anyway, that whole world, I'm so, I'm so grateful to Jen because she introduced me to Meg, who then introduced me to you. Welcome, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I'm so excited. So Claire and I were just talking about how our stories are so, so similar. And she said, she was going to think that I, I was going to think that she ripped me off. And, and then I was saying, I was, I was thinking that you were going to think that I was ripping you off because we both, we had such similar stories. So you are now a heartbreak coach and we need to hear the story of how you got to this moment in your life. You know, and I am Irish and Irish ladies don't know how to tell a long story short. So I'll try my best. So I am, I'm actually originally from Ireland, lived there as a kid, but grew up in New York for the most part. Always since I came out of the womb, wanted to be an actress, lived in New York city, post-college all throughout my twenties, pursuing acting and booked some pretty good stuff here and there, supporting myself mostly you know, financially through commercials. And then the economy crashed 2008. But leading up to, I should say, I was in my, fir- my first, very first relationship. I um, lasted from when I was 16 to 24. So I was in a relationship with someone amazing, very safe, very loving for eight years. But then, you know, it's kind of the classic cliche case. I start acting school in New York and I just grew up in a very sheltered environment, both through, you know, grade school, high school, and then into college, a very sheltered world as well, where everyone was similar to me, white and upper middle class to upper class and just, you know, checking, checking off all the boxes. Right. And then I hit acting school and was just like, wait, all these people have walked all these different walks of life and 
I was like the rebellious, like, oh, I'm so boring. I'm just like a white girl from Westchester whose parents are still together. And <laughs> like, you know, all the things like I just was really enamored by, you know, people who had really been through some shit, which that tends to be like people, artists tend to yeah. um, have a story. Right. And so I then just became very drawn to the bad boy and um, ended my eight year relationship. Um, still to this day, my family says he's the best person I've ever found. I'm now 38. I'm like, thanks guys. Um, <laughs> but um, ultimately just started getting into, you know, toxic relationship after toxic relationship. My first real adult love was at 28. And he today, 10 years later is a dear friend. But at the time we were really toxic, you know, two actors and, you know, there were highs, there were lows. It was very dramatic. And um, he wasn't a bad guy. I wasn't a bad girl. It was just that we were not understanding each other and butted heads a lot. So we were on again, off again, the whole thing. That particular breakup was really my first adult heartbreak. And I discovered yoga and meditation in LA. I had been living in LA at this point. Again, cliche actress seeking her, her um, healing journey out in um, the yogic world. And ultimately that um, path led me to becoming a yoga teacher. And I was inspired to come back to New York to build my private yoga teaching business. I should say the economy crashed in 2008. So commercials were not running as heavily as they once were. So I really needed to come up with a plan B to continue to support my plan A as an actress. And yoga just felt like the right thing. So I went back to New York. It just made the most sense. That was where I had all of my connections for both acting and to build my private yoga teaching business, which I did do. And cue the worst relationship of my life, which now is a... <laughs> Eight years ago. And so I was thinking, you know, I discovered yoga and meditation, which was what I had been saying to you just in your book of like, oh, I felt like I was so grounded and clear and <laughs> yeah. like the world was my oyster. And that one heartbreak at 28 was the lesson, you know? Yeah. And so I had met this guy before and um, we actually had been involved in a, in a theater group before. And um, when I had first met him a few years prior, I thought he was trouble. Like everything in me said, that guy is trouble. And I saw the way he treated his girlfriend. I knew he wasn't faithful to her. He was really putting her down behind her back, all the things. Still, he just swooped in and it was like, he was different. I was different. Right. And we were going to be different. And right. he proclaimed his like love for me since the day he met me. And that like when he knew I was coming back to New York, he had to have me and he would do anything. And I will give him credit where credit's due. I was broke as a joke. I was planning on moving back in with my parents in Western, Westchester. And he was just like, just come right in with me and his two roommates in this spacious apartment. And I did. So real smart move right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> but I and, talk about how Mr. X, I referred to him as Mr. Yes. X in my book, how his love was sparklier than my own love for myself. Did you feel I that way? I love, I, I saw that and I thought that that was so well put. It was just like, I had never experienced a love like this before. He was just like, and I said to him, because, you know, I was so self-aware and evolved, insert air quotes. I was just like, you know, I'm insert a lot. air quotes. Oh I just, I remember saying to him, like, I wasn't perfect in that last relationship. And like, I know that I'm not easy. I thought I was like being so humble and self-aware and kind of giving him the warnings of like, these are my trigger points. And I still am healing from the relationship before. 
before. I'm being so vulnerable, honest, communicative. <laughs> whole thing. And he was just like, I will have you any which way. And he grew up Irish Catholic. So he like, he was like, I know there's a little crazy in you, you know, like joking about it. Yeah. And it was blissful for the first few months. And then I realized he was really keeping me separate from the theater company that I had I didn't want to take part in it anymore professionally. That wasn't my path, but um, I was friends with a lot of those people. And I was like, why am I being kept, se kept separate here? And there were just little red flags. And then this one girl um, who I, she will be on my podcast, um, someone who's so lovely, so overly friendly, was really giving me the cold shoulder. And I confronted oh. him about it. And I just said, you know, what's going on with her? Like, she's always been so nice to me. And he was like, she proclaimed her love for me before you came back to LA. I told her I didn't want to be with anyone or came back from LA. Um, and now like, I couldn't not be with you. And so she's like really offended. And I was just like, oh, okay. You know, and I just kind of didn't uh, acknowledge it. And then just shady shit after shit just started <laughs> happening. I mean, I could talk about it for hours, but ultimately a week before my 30th birthday, which is the story I share on my website, I'm just like, you know, we started dating in August, 2010 or nine. I always get those years confused. It's like a block in my head, but cut to February, my birthday's in February, but you know, I was just like, shit just isn't right. And for the first time, like I was a lot of things, but one thing I was not was a snoop. And for the first time in my almost 30 years on this earth, I checked his email and found not the one from that girl. It was another girl that he was saying, really, you know, talking about sex with her and all the things and just like everything in me. It was like the dead of winter in New York City. And I just like broke out into like a huge sweat. He comes back. I like immediately text him. I'm like, emergency, get yourself here like right now. And at this time, you know, I thought I don't, I have the tools, but you know, eight years later, I'm just like, whoa, the way I, I, I mean, I totally judge away audience. I totally, when he came in, I, I just took my fist to his chest and I, <laughs> I had never punched anyone in my adult life. Of, of course, I'm uh, the baby girl with two older brothers as a kid. I <laughs> just fight a good fight, but you know, that just wasn't me, you know, yeah. in that way. And, and I, I punched once and I was like, <gasps> I couldn't, you know, believe that I did it. And I turned to a wall. I mean, talk about dramatic actress. I turned to a wall and I punched the wall and he was like, don't do it to the wall, do it to me. And I was like, you're not even worth it. <laughs> um, isn't it the best that we can laugh about it now, Bridget? Like to me, it's just like a lifetime story. And you know, I came back. So you and I were just talking about narcissistic sociopathy. And yeah, let's talk about that. We've not talked about that on this podcast once. So, so tell us, yeah. tell the audience so, what that is. And I think what I was saying to you earlier is just that, you know, I think we all have a friend who's experienced cheating if we haven't experienced cheating ourselves, right? And narcissistic sociopathy goes way beyond like, oh, he, he was a cheater or, or, or he lied. Like those are shitty things that people do, but that doesn't make them a narcissistic sociopath. And um, really, I did like a ton of research because I just didn't understand what was happening to me at the time. I didn't understand this dynamic. And so I started to really read a ton about the dance between a narcissist and an empath. I being the empath, I'm sure you would identify yourself yes. as an empath. Yes. And ultimately I just started reading all these books. I don't know. I think it was just, I don't know if you've experienced this, but whenever, especially at that time, I would just Google things like right. Google um, lying or cheating. Or, oh my God, that's hilarious. 
or not being able to get over the person who's so wrong for you. I would like type those things in, you know, and, and that's why for my podcast, how to stop wanting him back. Like, I think we know miss like for so many times that the person is wrong for us, but like, as you said, the love that he gave you was more sparkly than the love that you were giving yourself. So it's like, you're mourning the loss of that love. How did we go from there to here? And so I really started dumbling upon websites about narcissistic sociopaths and the dance with an empath and found books on it. And I think ultimately what it comes down to is that what narcissists do is that they idealize you. So then there's like that honeymoon phase and then they devalue you. So in my case, I started getting suspicious about him not being where he said he was, which again, I was not perfect in previous relationships, but I was never in a situation that I didn't trust the person. And that was the big difference. And so they idealize you. I'm the sun, the moon, the stars. I want to just have you in any way that I can and then devalue you. So when I started getting suspicious, it was, babe, you're crazy. Like, I love you so much and you've got these demons inside of you and I am here to help you no matter what, but I would never do that to you. Looking me dead in the eyes, like this person who's just like, you are the mother of my children. Like, how can you think that I would do this to you? So, right. So they idealize you, they devalue you. And then you're feeling like I am fucking crazy. I hope we're allowed to curse on this. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> I'm like, I am crazy because this man who has been pursuing me and in love with me for so long, family members confirming he has been talking about you being the person that he has like always wanted and would right. do anything to date. The woman that he's now married to told me that. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And, and I always was suspicious about his relationship with her. And then, so they idealize you, they devalue you. Then you're so crazy. Like, why am I feeling all these feelings? Blah, blah, blah. So then you're like losing your mind. Right. So that, that gives him the justification that you're crazy. Right. And then they discard you. They kick you yeah. to the curb. They get rid of you. Right. Okay. Then- can I just tell you that, that I, I feel like mine is worse than yours only because Mr. X didn't tell me that I was crazy or anything. I feel way more idiotic though, because he would have these convoluted stories and I would twist my brain into a pretzel to make them, you know, make sense. And then you just cocked your head. And it reminds me that I feel like my whole relationship with him, I was cocking my head like my dog does when she doesn't understand what I'm saying or where a bird is. And they like, she cocks her head. And I feel like my whole relationship, I was cocking my head back and forth. I was too. It's like, you're crazy or whatever. And then like, or something wouldn't make sense. And I'd ask him a second time and then he would have a different story. Oh, and wow, I'm like, yeah. but wait, you said this and just the effortlessness of his like, no, this is what I meant and blah, 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 blah. Like with such ease without batting an eyelid. And I was like, yes. I must have heard him wrong. Like I must have heard the man that I love who I've taken home to my family for Christmas and Thanksgiving, who have embraced him, the way he connects with my dad on um, Irish politics, culture, you name it. Like this is my person. Right. And yeah. so, yeah then like, I'm crazy because I keep being like, this isn't right. This isn't right. This isn't right. And everything in my body, right? Like yeah. saying run, but yeah. everything in my heart and my head is just like, if I don't have him, I don't have anything. Right. So I were was, you afraid? Was that a component of afraid of being alone? Cause I, I actually didn't have that afraid of being alone. So I, that, that's just one thing I happen to not have. <laughs> I, say, I wasn't afraid of being alone. I was just okay. afraid. I was afraid to not have that love. Because I am, I'm, I'm currently single right now. Like I'm a very independent person, like probably too independent. <laughs> like don't cramp my style, but you know, that's another podcast episode. <laughs> right. I share that with you too. <laughs> they idealize you, they devalue you, then they discard you and then they suck you back in. 
right. over and over and over again. So I read these disgusting emails between him and this other woman and he sucked me back in. And I went because I was desperate for that sparkly love from him because I wasn't giving it to myself, even though, because I thought I was this evolved yogi, <laughs> you know, I, there was, a, there must've been something wrong with me. And so I kept getting sucked back in. And it's just amazing the stories that he has told other people and like, and then what they also do is smear campaign you. They got like t putting your name down to all the people who, you know, ultimately I found out that he overlapped with another woman, the woman who I was suspicious of right off the bat. He was dating us simultaneously for five months. He got a dog with her, surprised me with the dog to say he wanted the dog to bring us closer together. What had you have the Fine. balls to leave? <laughs> um, you know, I will give him credit where credit's due again. Like it was totally mutual. I was just like, I called him one night and I was staying at a friend's house and I said, you know what? I just have a bad feeling and I really want to come see you tonight. And he was like, no, no. Like he, and so like now we've pieced it together. He had the other woman obviously at her house. We know the timeline of everything. And, and then I was like, no, I'm just coming. I just want to see you. Like, you know, like I, to me, it wasn't a big deal. Like we're boyfriend, girlfriend, like I can come by and see you. Like I need to see you. And he's like, hold on. I'm picking up ice cream on my way to go get myself on tape or like help someone with an audition. I knew it was all lies. And I was like, something's wrong here. Let's call him John. I was like, John, something is wrong. And I just like everything in me, I was like, you are lying to me. You are lying to me. And he's like, you're fucking crazy. And I was like, you're right. I was like, I am like going crazy. Like you are just, your stories don't line up. Like something is not right. And he's like, I can't do this anymore. And I'm like, make this make sense. Make this make sense. And I was, I was totally unraveling. And ultimately, um, I remember too, I was like, it was like on the upper West side on a corner. And I like kind of I was sober as a judge. It was a Monday night. And I kind of just like stumbled on um, the curb and he goes, watch yourself. Like you're going to get hit by a car. And I was like, I don't even care. <laughs> and then he like basically was telling people I was like going to take my own life and like suicidal and all this stuff. And again, like my darkest time ever, but never once did I ever threaten to take my life. And he told right. the other woman that he was dating, like, I'm only friends with Claire because I feel scared for what she's going to Oh do my God. And the things he said, I mean, he said to her, like, Claire's absolutely insane. Like, I just feel like I have to be a friend to look out for her because she's like going to do something to herself. And about the other woman who's now a dear friend and whose wedding I attended a few months back, he told me she's just pathetic and he feels sorry for her and she's in love with him. And he just like, feels like he needs to be her friend because and they're also colleagues and business partners. So I went back to um, my dear friend Liz's place and I just like collapsed on the, ch on the couch and he texted her like, take care of Claire because she's crazy. And I was like, for the first time ever, he's actually telling the truth because I lost my mind. Right. Multiple pairs of underwear in, the, in his laundry basket that weren't mine. Like <sighs> it was just, there were so many things, but like we can demonize him and talk about all yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Things, right. Right? But, like, what was it about me that I stayed? And yes. that's why I do what I do eight years later. I've been coaching now for three years um, because it's not about him. It's about why I stayed, why I even started dating him, knowing like everything in my bones said, this is not my guy and this is not a good person. So yeah, that was my long-winded 
<laughs> that is fabulous. And so many things in common. And so many women have that, that story in common. And, and don't you also share, I know you share that. What a blessing, right? Because best it made never you, happened to me. Honestly. Best thing that ever happened to you. Right. Yes. Chills, yes. And like when I bring her name is Victoria, she won't mind me saying her name. When I bring her on my podcast, she lives in New York. So we're going to get together and do it. I already have in my, my head because it's going to get back to him. Like there are just too many people in common and social media and all the things, but like, I think the first thing we need to do is make a toast to him. Like, seriously, right. like, thank you. Because of that experience with you, I am the woman who I am today. Yes. You might be married with the kid and have the Emmy, but you, I would never want to walk a day in your shoes. I just wouldn't. But thank you for waking me the F up to my life and my transformation and my love for myself. Oh, so that beautiful. he is the reason. So, and, and I think another component too, that I would love to at some point sink our teeth into is forgiveness. Like, I don't yeah. know if I'm full, if I've fully forgiven without the apology, to be honest. And I know that true forgiveness is when you don't get an apology, but, right, you can. Right. but I can understand based on his childhood and experiences that he's shared and whatever it is. And clearly some type of, he has a personality disorder and he truly believes his lies, you know, that he is a damaged human being. And so I can like create a little bit of wiggle room and space for that and, and compassion for that. But um, really and truly, and again, it's waiting for a circumstance to change, which is what I don't coach on. It's how do you show up in the circumstances, your best self and heal yourself. But um, so yes, I wouldn't say, oh, I have all this love and forgiveness for him, but I do thank him. That's <laughs> right. Where I'm at. So tell me about your coachings and how you got into coaching. How did you go from that moment of extricating yourself? To now you are this powerful coach helping others. Yeah. So, um, great question. So I was teaching a ton of yoga and honestly, I felt like a fraud because I was showing up being like cultivate love within and I was dying inside. Um, but even the owner of the studio, she was like, I don't even know how you climbed the stairs into the studio. You just looked like death and you know, it's freezing cold and carrying all the layers. And, um, but she was like, you'd go into the little teacher closet and you'd come out with like a lovely quote for the class. Honestly, teaching yoga saved my life at that time. Wow. It forced me to show up and serve, which serving is always the best way to heal. Right. Um, and, uh, ultimately with my private yoga clients, they really wanted to share their story with me and they really wanted to know my story. And, um, so I was super passionate at that point, obviously with yoga and meditation and self-help books. So I was really passionate about talking about all of that stuff. I still had a deep love for acting. I still do today, but my, um, focus has really shifted. And then ultimately I came back to LA, found an incredible lifesaver of a therapist. Um, I think I, I talk about this in one of my podcast episodes. I, I, I tried finding a therapist in New York, probably didn't make the best efforts, but I went to about three or four and they were pretty cold and clinical. And then I found an incredible therapist out here. And I think what was really huge for me in my work with her is that yes, with yoga, you become a witness to your thoughts. You become a witness to the physical sensations in the body. But I was like, I'm a witness to them and I can lean into the pain, but when is it going to shift? And I just was so attached to the negative thinking that was right. coming to feel 
like shit a lot of the time. And by the way, like I talked about this in, in an episode, the last episode, why is it taking me so long to get over him? Mm-hmm. Um, that took two to three years to recover from because I didn't have the foundational tools. I was just like, I'm with it. I see it. I'm saying hi to it, but mm-hmm. when is it going to shift? And then when I started dating by like year three after the relationship, cause I was so traumatized by the whole thing. And I really, there was a moment where I was like, I'm never going to date again. Like I don't, didn't want to bring a child into this world. I didn't want my child, like a child to experience this. And, you know, it's so funny. I'm raised Irish Catholic and talking about feelings is like the far this thing from our language of love. (laughs) But even my dad, like I was living in Brooklyn and my parents lived up in Westchester and like my dad, and I would see them a lot because I would, I would just come home on the weekends and be like lifeless. And I was 10 pounds underweight and they were really worried. And he just called and I thought there was an emergency because we just didn't really talk that much during the week because I would usually see them on the weekends. And he just called and I was just like, everything okay? And he was like, no, are you okay? And I was just like, oh, and I just- I said, you know, I'm just, I don't understand how someone I could love that much would do this to me. Like not only betray me, but then deny it and lie about it and then shame me to all of the people. Like, what did I do to deserve that? You know, really, but I was really attached to my victim story there. Right. Right. Um, And uh, what got you, what shifted you out of that victim story? Tell me what well, I'll, uh, so, so the therapist that I found in LA, I'll get there in a second. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. But it's a good question. And, um, I think this will, it, it, this goes in line with how I got to coaching, but the therapist really, um, I, I, t- I showed up and I was like, read all the books, know all my issues. I can connect the dots from childhood to now. Um, I'm still stuck on, and I still feel like shit. What can you do? You know? And she really opened my eyes up to, okay, you're a witness to the thoughts, but who's the person thinking the thoughts? So she's a mindfulness-based psychotherapist. And we really talked, it's like, but why are you thinking these thoughts? Who is the person thinking them? And how can you become a compassionate witness? Because I actually started to realize that the thoughts felt like facts about my worthiness, about not being enough, about dating in general, about the lack of trust in men, all the things, you know? Right. And so we really like sat with that. And she really you know, I was like, I know, and I can be with it and I can watch it, but I kind of had this toughness with it. Like, yeah. And, you know, and so right. she really softened yes. me, you know, and then, um, I was in an acting class for a couple of years in LA. So this is going back, you know, four or five years, five years ago, I was in it for about two years and, you know, actors, we all have a story. We all have some shit to dredge up and there's a lot of stresses as an actor in LA or New York. And, um, people were really just going through shit. And I was like, you need to read this book. You need to think of it like this. So I just started kind of organically helping people as I was starting to shift and owning my own stuff. Right. And people were just calling me outside of the class. And then like somehow some, someone somewhere along the way just said, you know, would you, you need to do something with this. So I thought about therapy and I was like, you know what? I haven't, I don't really have a desire to do childhood trauma or um, addiction or mental illness. I just want to like work with women like me who are stuck and in their own way and, and are um, really don't know how to get out of their victim mentality. And I started, and I would read about like being the victim and everything, but I still didn't really understand. And I understood it intellectually when I was reading the books about victim versus, you know, owning your story and, 
And I was just like, clearly they don't know my story because I really am the victim here. Like he really is a douchebag, people. He did some things to me, you know? And um, then I was inspired to um, dive into Martha Beck's life coach training program. Are you familiar with Martha? Yes. She's amazing. And so she had a life coach training program. And just right when I started doing research on you know, what does being a life coach look like? I also had been working with a nutritionist on the phone and I just loved our sessions together. And I was like, I love talking about people's problems. I could do that on, on the phone. And that's so cool. Like her little business that she had. And I really was talking to people on the phone, especially people from acting class calling me. I'm like, I could actually create like a business doing this, but I'm such a, you know, people can become life coaches tomorrow. You could literally just be like, I want to become a life coach. I've had a lot of life experience. So I felt like I had a lot of life experience and I was really passionate and knowledgeable, but I definitely didn't have the tools or the skills to actually go out and coach. So I did Martha's eight month training program and loved it. And that that I finished it three years ago three years ago in April and just started coaching. And I kept it very general for about a year. Like I coach women in their twenties and their thirties, like finding themselves. I kept it very general because I just didn't ever think that I would be sharing the whole reason why I, I was inspired. And, um, and then I got into a relationship a year and a half ago with someone, not a narcissistic sociopath, but definitely had his stuff. And he totally broke my heart and, um, was like super inspired to, you know, there's no, I I love how I like diagnose all my exes. I definitely think he had, um, dismissive avoidant attachment, like a good person, (laughs) but he was like very push pull. Like I need you. I love you. I want you. And then, um, would be like disappear for two days. But interestingly enough, never thought he was going astray. I knew he was just like super into his work and he was like a major introvert. And so you just, I know that I'm healed from the mm-hmm. eight years ago, rock bottom narcissistic sociopath relationship, right. because I, I don't carry that lack of trust now into my relationship. That's today, so, that's such a huge yeah. thing. It was like, yeah, he, he, he still wasn't great shakes. The guy a year and a half ago, like his story always changed. Like ultimately in the beginning, he told me it was okay, that I wasn't the same religion as him. And then as we started really getting close, he was like, I actually like, no, I want to marry someone within my own religion. I'm like, well, I would never have gotten this far with you. Right. So it's just like, saying things and whatever, but like was a very present, caring person and very supportive. And like, he was like, I'm sorry. And I want to work through this. But then after that, I was just like, I don't know what is true and what is not true. Right. Um, but ultimately right. that breakup at this point, I had a little bit of a following and like a, a an email list, you know, with my blog. And I was like, I'm not going to stay quiet about this heartbreak. I'm going to tell people about it. Not by any means that I ever use his name or shame him in any way, but to be like, I'm devastated. And I want to talk about this because I think there's also a lot of shame attached to heartbreak. People don't want to want mm-hmm. others to know like he broke it's up. A failure. With me. Yes. Yeah. A failure. And now I'm 38 at the time, 36. And we were together like four months, but he was talking about the future, um, the high moment. And so I really wanted to be like, yeah, I was dumped and this is how I'm going to work through it. And I'm going to apply my tools. And that really just like inspired me to say, I'm a heartbreak coach. I've been through some shit and I know a thing or two about it. And I looked up, like, if you Google heartbreak coach, like there's, it's very, there are a couple of people, but it doesn't even look like they're actually current right now. Right, right. I just don't think it's something and that people talk about. Yeah. Because it is a little bit shameful, isn't it? People so, feel embarrassed if right. you're dumped, you know? Yeah. Especially the older you get, you know, it's like, 
Oh, really? Even yeah. now that you're yeah. going through that kind of thing? What's the biggest takeaway that you got from looking inside after either one of these heartbreaks? Like something that you learned about yourself that, oh, thank God for the breakup because I discovered this thing about me. I think weaving back to the question that I didn't answer before is that I don't have to be a victim to my circumstances. Like I don't ever have to be a victim. And I think the difference with this last heartbreak, which was now a year and a half ago, was... I still, even though there were some weak moments where I was disappointed in myself and how I showed up in the relationship, but I think we're all human beings and we're all going to feel that way in our most intimate relationships, right? But I really loved the way I showed up. I loved the partner that I was to him. I loved how vulnerable I was. I loved how honest I was. I also loved how when he told me, you know, actually the truth is I really think I want to marry someone within my religion. I, my automatic it, response is to, to run, right? Mm-hmm. Not to punch, not mm-hmm. to fight. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. It's to run. And so I was working with my therapist at the time and I had already been coaching and, and we both like really talked about how this is a great opportunity to stay because in fairness to him, he said, you're different. I've tried dating a lot of women in, within my religion and I have this connection with you that I haven't experienced. And I really believed him. And I still to this day believe that that is true at that time. Who knows what's going on with him now? Maybe he's found the right person, but um, that like, it just, it's an opportunity to love on myself more every single time. Mm, that's beautiful. And, and the flaws included, right? Because we're all going to be flawed in our in our relationships. And I think that that, you know, a lot of clients come to me having come off the heels of something similar to what you went through or what I went through. And then they work through the tools and then they start dating again. And then their fear comes back to, well, what if I show all my cards and that's going to push them away or that's going to make them flip the switch, or I'm going to get rejected for being all of me. Right. The ugly parts that, that was one of my biggest lessons from mine was, oh, I, was with a liar who couldn't be truly intimate because if you're with a liar, then you can't have true intimacy. And I had to look at why I didn't want to be truly intimate. Obviously I chose a liar. Oh, that fit perfectly for my fear of intimacy. And for me, exactly what you just said, um, having somebody see my ugly parts. Oh, that's my ugly part. I don't want anybody to see that. I'm going to hide that. And it's like, if you're going to be truly intimate, you know, all the ugly part come into sight, you know? Yeah. And at that time, but the last relationship from a year and a half ago, I was struggling with my coaching business struggle. I had clients, like a handful of clients, but I still had this other day job. And I just like, wasn't feeling great about myself and my career. Um, and so I had a lot of judgment on myself and he went to an Ivy league school and there were just passive comments about me being a personal assistant or like things like that, or referencing like, well, his parents wouldn't really understand that I'm a coach versus like, and I had said to him, you know, at one point I considered going to become a therapist and he, his face lit up because that would be something that, that he, he could take home to mama. Exactly. And, um, so again, this is what I'm very conscious of as a coach and with my clients is what's the story that you're creating? Cause he didn't say like, you're not enough for my parents, but there were definitely little subtle things that like, I'm, I'm an intuitive Irish woman I could pick up on, but those were my insecurities. I didn't right. go to an Ivy league school. I didn't have his religion. Like I didn't have the status that this overachieving guy did have. And so that was a way like, 
like, oh, he couldn't love me, but I wasn't loving on me. Now I'm like, I'm a life coach. It focuses on, I focus on heartbreak, blah, 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 <laughs> take it or freaking leave it. I right. used to put that I was a life coach on the dating apps on my profile. Cause I'm like, people are going to judge. They're not going to understand. Well then great. They're not your people. So have not your people. Left on you if they don't like you. That I love that, that image of you on the corner, um, where don't get hit by a bus, you know, that moment. I don't even care. <laughs> I don't even Let care. I love that. Me. Let it hit me so you live with the guilt. <laughs> so, so if you, it's such a great image. I can't wait to read your book. I love so, that we're laughing about it. You really know when you're over it. So can you just imagine with me that it's you now today and you run into that young woman on the corner and you grab her hand and you walk down the street with her and say, come with me. So what would you say to her now? Well, I think the last thing a woman in, her, in those shoes wants to hear is this is the best thing that's ever happened to right. you. But that's like the first thing I want to say. But what right. I will say is like, if you are willing to take my hand and trust me and trust this work and do everything that I say, because I get some clients, I take on clients for six months to a year and they're like all in, you know, I ain't cheap. And it's a lot of time to invest because I'm like, it requires a huge commitment. How willing are you to put your time and your money where your mouth is and do the work? Because the reason why you've attracted this situation is because it's you. And I don't mean that to shame you. I am not pointing fingers on you, but this is your opportunity to transform your life. Do you want to transform it? Or do you want to be in the depths of the despair waiting for the bus to hit you? Right. But you've got two choices. Right. And so I get clients who sign on for the six months. And then I'm like, did you do the thought work every day? I have a thought work tool that like, it's not like, Oh, just do the thought work. And then your whole mind transforms. It's a commitment to retrain your brain, to see the whole situation differently, to see yourself differently. And even for me to say, you know what? He obviously has some issues. Like I would never want to walk a day in his shoes, even though he's checked off boxes that I would like to check off. I plan on getting married and becoming a mother. And um, at one point I would have loved an Emmy to carry around or put on my shelf. And like, I'm like, I am not envious of her. I am not envious of him. Like I am so happy to walk in the conscious shoes that I walk in. And I know that I say that with blind spots. We always have blind spots. I still work with two coaches and I love what you said about your superpower being one of the five superpowers to create the mighty flame. Sight was my favorite one because we all have blinders. Yes. So to be open to a coach or a therapist or some kind of mentor who you trust to point out your blinders and to be willing to hear it because it's hard to hear and you just want to put the blame and shame on the other person, but you have to take responsibility for your part in the relationship too. I love that we both have in common also, by the way, we only spoke for like two minutes before this interview started, but we found all these commonalities. And one of them is Debbie Ford, who, who was the main for me, she was the one who first taught me about supersight. In other words, it's okay to go into those dark, shadowy corners of your heart. There's light on the other side. The way she dealt with things, Debbie Ford, I've mentioned a lot in this podcast. Yeah. And, and I also love that, you know, she was the first one. She wasn't the first one that I'd heard say this, but when she said it, it meant something to me that when you're pointing your finger outward, look at the other fingers that are pointing back Point at you. Back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so tell me about, tell me about your, your um, experience with Debbie and loving her. Well, I read her book, Dark Side of the Light Chasers. And it was, I have to say when I read it at the time and that along with Byron Katie's book, which I referenced Byron Katie and all my podcasts or all my podcasts, literally I have the fourth episode coming out, but I reference her <laughs> a lot because she really is like, when you argue with reality, you suffer. 
but only 100% of the time. And Debbie was all about like, not only did she really say it's okay to embrace the dark, she actually was saying it's necessary. Yes, like, it's, it's absolutely necessary. necessary right? It's not what we are taught. We are taught, don't cry. My Irish Catholic upbringing, I love my parents madly, but it's like, come on, get on with it. Snap yes. out of it. Go to school. You're grand, you know? Right. It's just like you get up and go, which I do appreciate because I do think that they instilled a resilience in me. Like, I'm not going to let this get the best of me um, and being committed to that. Um, and yeah, so I have to say when I first read um, Byron Katie and Debbie Ford at that time, I was really resistant to it. A Dark Side yes. of the Light Chasers yeah. and Byron Katie's Loving What Is. And I got to be honest, both of those books, I was like, no, thank you. Nope. I don't want to surrender to my reality. I don't want to look at the dark side. I'm a yogi. I just want to see lightness. So I was super resistant to it at the time. And now looking back, I mean, those were like two of the first books that really opened my eyes and were just like, honey, you got to look at the dark stuff. That is and so cool that you said that because it is, and it's a common thing in the yoga community, right? And then the spiritual community. I actually had somebody who's um, like almost a lifetime TMer. I mean, she's been doing TM for 40 years. I had some, I had her read my manuscript and she said, I'm not sure about this because we were taught by Maharishi to not go, not look at the shadow, not look at the dark and to just stay in the light. And, and I was like, well, how do you, I, I, I'm just all in with Debbie Ford, which is like, yeah. if you don't look at it, it's running you anyway. So if you're pretending that the shadow's not running you, then you've got blinders on, right? Or a hundred percent. It will manifest colored glasses. I had both. I'm yeah, sorry. I think, I think that manifests in other ways. If you're just suppressing any negative emotion, any negative story, any negative tape playing. And I want to be very clear here. Like I still don't think I'm, I'm evolved and have it all figured out. Do I think I've learned a ton? Do I think I'm a really good coach? Yeah. But like, I know that's why I work with two coaches. One is a business coach and one's a personal coach because they're always blinders. I have this desire to keep growing, 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 and I still get in my own way because I'm a human. And I think that that's what it's about. It's acknowledging the good, the bad. And um, Martha Beck always talks about how, um, you know, 12 step programs say one day at a time, but really it's one moment at a time. Yes. I woke yes. up this morning. I was like, I'm feeling great about life. I'm getting interviewed by Bridget today. I'm <laughs> coaching all these people. I'm going to go to my yoga class. And I like went to yoga and all of a sudden my neck and everything. And then I gained a few pounds and I was like looking in the mirror and it was like all this self judgment in the mirror. And I'm just like, okay, okay. I see it. There's the negative tape. Right. But I have to always manage my mind. So I, I would say to anyone listening, who's going through it right now, like, it's okay to be going through it. Negative emotion is a part of the human experience. Yeah. At the same time, we can learn how to manage it so that we have less of it. We don't have to indulge negative emotion. We don't have to indulge a victim story. Um, we can transform it. But if we feel pain, we feel pain at times. And, and the more we breathe through it and say, I see you, I feel you, I have space for you here. I love Rumi's guest house. This yes. human is a guest yeah. house. It's like welcome and entertain all the sorrows and botching the words, but yeah, welcome it. And the more, like, that's the irony here is that the only way to get to the other side is through it, not around it, not avoiding it, not numbing out on food, alcohol, shopping, sex, whatever it is, just being with the negative emotion is going to get you through to the other side. Is that like your number one piece of advice? Cause I love that. That was so beautifully said. Like if you could only give somebody one piece of advice, that's a good one. 
<laughs> yeah, I do. And like, so a big component of the way I coach is I use a thought model tool. I use both Byron Katie's thought model tool, thought tool. It's known as the work. And um, you can learn about that in her book, Loving What Is. And it, the first time I read it, I talked about this in my podcast. I wanted to chuck the book back in my best friend's face. And then five years later, um, it was the required reading for my life coach training program with Martha Beck. And Martha has written like 12 books. We had to read it. Like she was like, oh, here are other ones, like read them or whatever. But like the only book that was required was Byron Katie's. Wow. And I was like, touche universe. Um, and, so, <laughs> and then there's another amazing- That's a good title for your book that you're going to write. Universe. Oh my God, guys, don't steal it. Whoever's listening, it's mine. Um, that's amazing. Um, and Brooke Castillo is another incredible life coach on the map. And I've studied her work and she has a thought model called, um, she just calls it the, the model. And it's really about how every circumstance in our lives is neutral. And it's the way we think about it that causes us to feel a certain way that um, yields a, a certain result. That can be with our finances. That can be with breakups. That can be with our relationship with our bodies, with alcohol. She has an overeating drink, an overeating program, over drinking. She has a money program, all these different things, but you can always apply um, the model. So yes, you can transform your thoughts anytime, but sometimes our brains don't want to. Sometimes our brains want to stay in negative emotion. Yeah. If someone comes to me and she's just gotten broken up with, I'm not going to be like, let's just like shift your thoughts about that. Right. Like you got to be with the pain. Right. And, and I think that that's why coaching or therapy is so crucial because it's having someone to guide you to navigate through it. Like yesterday I, I work with a client who has a chronic illness and she said, you know, I, there's like the actual pain itself when I have a flare up and then there's the emotional pain. And what do I do with that? And how do I tease out what is real and what is not real? What's the, what I'm creating in my mind and what is real? And I was like, well, I have bad news. <laughs> like the pain itself is going to be uncomfortable. Any physical pain is uncomfortable, but that's your work is to just be with the physical pain instead of the mind drama of why is this happening to me? Why is this my life? How much longer is this going to go on for? How can I get through it? Like her chronic illness is actually a neutral circumstance, which is crazy and is like blown mm, her mind, but it's her neutral circumstance. You're thinking about it, right? Wow. And just that your life is literally a result of the way you're thinking. And right. so you always get to shift your thoughts. And my life has just transformed in the last couple of years through discovering her and my work with these coaches and a blend of Martha's stuff, which Martha Beck, she really has like a very spiritual kind of hippie woo woo approach. I like the blend of spiritual and then concrete work that I can do to manage my mind. Well, that, it's funny that you say that because I think of, I think of Martha Beck as very grounding. Like the first, when you say the words, Martha Beck, I think grounding. I mean, she's a huge fan of Byron Katie's work, um, but she really, um, in her own way, she does also like dream exercises and things that are a little bit more connecting with spirit and your subconscious. Whereas Brooke is very kind of tactical with her thought model and Brooke too studied with Martha. So everyone's interconnected in their own way. And I, I love having the blend of like my two coaches, even though they trained with Brooke, they've got their own spin on things and right. my stuff from Martha. And then I think I've grown so much as a coach just from my own experience of coaching and hearing so many different stories on heartbreak. I just want to read, if, if you haven't heard the poem Guest House by Rumi, I opened my book with Rumi. I love Rumi so much. Rumi also helped me. We were talking before we started also about, uh, about Mark Nepo's book, Awakening. Book of Awakening. Book yes. of Awakening, excuse me. And which is a 365 day. That's why I went to my publisher, actually. It's Canary Press, the same press that did 
I sent my book to them because of, of that book that they, that they published. And so Mark Nepo got me through, Debbie Ford got me through and Rumi got me through. And also master John Douglas, who's my the spiritual teacher who helped uncover and take away a lot of the subconscious debris. So I did a ton of that kind of work, but I do want to read, if you haven't heard the guest house, I'm just going to read it. It's a short poem. <clears throat> this being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. And there's an exclamation point I just want to say at the end of that. I love exclamation points. And I just love that Rumi uses used this. Yes. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door, laughing and inviting them in. Be grateful for whatever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. And it's, I wanted to read it out loud because it's so Thank you and me, you. right? It's, and, you know, just like anything, you hear that also, not just breakups, but people who get cancer and they say, that's the best thing that ever happened to me because I was able to discover many, many beautiful things about myself and thank God that happened. So I could discover this. Amen. Yeah. And I, you know, my aunt from Ireland at the time and my first breakup when I was 28. So now going back 10 years and she gave that to me and I was like, beautiful, but I'd rather not feel the pain. I was so <laughs> resistant. I was like, I don't want to welcome the pain. I don't, so I, I don't want the new delight. I want him back. Now, isn't that a, t that's like a, a typical 20 something um, response. So how, what is your advice to 20 somethings when they do, when they think of the dark side as, you know, just unbearable? What do you, how do you manage them? I say it is unbearable. Lean into it, breathe mm -hmm. through it. I'm telling you everything you don't want to hear. You want the quick fix or some way that I can help you get him back. Or I, I've known, I know what it feels like where you really just want to stick it to him and show him what he's missing. And now with social media, it's like all the pictures of me looking so amazing, smiling, beaming ear to ear on a yacht. Go F yourself. I'm so happy. All that energy where you're lying, right? You're literally lying all of that energy and effort and money. Like I know people are like traveling all the time and treating themselves and I'll just treat myself to a spa day. It, I'm telling you, those are just quick fixes and band-aids that do not work. You have to lean into it. And I know it's unbearable. And I would say to any client, I got you. Like mm -hmm. I'm in this with you. I get it that you have to go through the fire to get to the light. You just have to. And it fucking sucks. Excuse my French again, but it, yeah. it, it, it does. And that is the only way through it. But the more you resist it, the more you fight it, the more you try to put the effort and energy to show the world how happy you are, the longer that this pain will last. I love what Debbie Ford said. It's like holding, if you don't deal with those shadows, it's like holding a beach ball underwater in the ocean. And at some point, a wave is going to come and that beach ball is going to come flying into your face. And yeah. And you could be in the middle of actually a romantic dinner with a new boyfriend and that beach ball comes exactly. flying into your face. Another thing that I want to add too with that is that 
when I have heartbroken clients, which by the way, I did all these things. So I am not, this, this is a judgment free zone. I'm doing this work literally in every podcast. I'm like, I think I need to start out with, I've been there, which is why I'm talking like about this stuff, but stalking the social media and like being obsessed with where he is, who he's with, is he dating again, asking questions to the mutual friends, conveniently hanging out with the, the, the mutual friends to like, see if you have information or just like, well, you know, and all the things it's like, you're always going to find information you don't want to hear. And then that's going to make the heartbreak even harder. You know, when you're looking for evidence, and it's none of your, I always say it's none of your business. I know, but they don't want to hear that at the time. They think it's their business, right? So in the beginning, I have to like really handle with kid gloves, but I'm like, so just so you know, like the circumstance that you are broken up is neutral, right? And then your thinking is all I want is for him to come back or I want him to miss me or I don't want him back, but I want him to want me back, right? All these unhealthy thoughts, right? Again, no judgment, but those thoughts are not serving you. And when you're thinking those thoughts, how do you feel? This is Brooke Castillo's model. So the circumstance is neutral that you're broken up. Then the thought is all I want is for him to come back or I don't even want him back. He's such a dick, but I want him to want me back. I want everyone else to know the things that he did to me to like justify it so that he really feels bad, right? All these things. And then that makes you feel shitty, anxious, sad, rejected, abandoned, insecure, angry, all the things, rebellious, um, all those things. And then how and the, you, it makes you the opposite of powerful. If, disempowered. Moment, it makes you feel like you're powerful, like you're roaring like a lion, but really it's not making you powerful. I interrupted you. Sorry. No, all those things. Disempowered is another great feeling. And so then when you're feeling all those feelings, how do you act? You stalk the social media. You're trying to gather information. You're maybe showing up to places where you think you might bump into him looking super hot. You're trying to gather information. You're staying connected with people who you know are connected to him. And then what's the result? You're still devastated and heartbroken and not living your life for you. You're living in the past. And I say this from a place of I've done this multiple times. And so how do you want to feel about the circumstance that he's broken up, right? I would imagine you want to feel at peace and acceptance, calm, neutral, positive neutral, instead of like all these devastating feelings. So what would you need to think? And so for, you know, to go from, I want him back or I want him to just regret it, right? Those are such like strong thoughts to think, even to just neutralize them and say, you know, okay, I'm going to trust that this is happening for me to me for a reason. Hmm. Or, um, or asking the question, how can I look for ways to see that this is serving me? What can I learn from this? Why is this happening? When I argue with reality, I suffer. Just acknowledging like this is happening and when I fight it, I'm suffering. And so then that, those thoughts for me kind of bring a sense of calm, right? Yeah. And then, or, or even better, like we think we want him and we're only remembering the good things and the high and the sparkly love. Right. But then were there other things now, Bridget, looking back that you're like, it was a sparkly love, but there was some shady shit going on. <laughs> right. Yes. And, and so mud, then, mud smear, smearing. <laughs> yeah. And so then what are the actions when you're thinking this is how I, I'm going to look for ways to support that this serves me. When I argue with reality, this I suffer. Right. So I'm going to surrender to this. Um, maybe he wasn't that great. Maybe this is better. I also hated the line, you dodged a bullet when I was in the thick of the pain. Like I just didn't want to hear that, you know? Right. And so then how do you act? Maybe, you, maybe when you're thinking those thoughts and in a state of calm and peace, you stop checking social media. 
You stop asking questions on his whereabouts or who he's with or what he's doing. You start to live your life for you. And every single time your brain goes back to, oh my God, or, or when you find out that he's with someone else, like what does she have that I don't have? All those things, like that's just a shitty question to be asking yourself. That's a like great, you are you. Great, yeah. What questions are you asking yourself? I love that. And what thoughts are you continually thinking? I love that too. Um, I, I also, I needed help. Um, when I wanted to redirect my attentions, I, so I set up, I, ha I call it in my book, the love league, which is just a network of friends that I could call on to, if I wanted to, uh, call him or wanted to somehow dip into information that was none of my business, I would just call a friend and say, keep me off, you know, keep me and it's, off it's that similar. Cliff. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's similar to, um, AA, you have a sponsor instead of going to drink. Right. Can I call my sponsor, you right. know, and like really get people around me and, you know, a couple of clients say, well, I didn't even ask for the information. She just told me that he's dating right. blah, blah, blah. So you need to start enforcing boundaries with your friends. I'm dying to know this information, but if I, if I learn this, that's going to send me into a tailspin. That's going to keep me farther away from stopping wanting him back. Right. So that's a good, what I that's say, a good yeah. And what I have people agree with you that they're going to do what you need them to do. I don't need to hear about him for the next two months and we'll reassess in two months or something. Totally. That's I'm going a on a 30 day cleanse. And oh. I'm also a big fan of, um, how about you don't hang out with the people who are friends with him? And I get, to, I get pushback on that. Claire, what am I supposed to do? Like I lose him as my boyfriend and now I lose these friends. You know, I get like pushback on that. And I'm just like, so here's my question. How committed are you to healing your heart? Don't mm -hmm. you have other friends? Didn't you have friends before him in this two month relationship, five, one year relationship? Didn't you have other friends besides the ones that you met through him? Yeah. How badly do you want the results and how committed are you? You either keep those friends and put the boundary up and say, we do not discuss him. I want to stay friends with you because I genuinely loved our connection. And again, I say this from a place of totally keeping in touch with the mutual friends to see if I could get information or just talk about how great I'm doing so that it gets back to him, right? It's like, you got to really look at yourself and be real with yourself and clean up your reasoning as to why you're continuing to associate with the people around him. Because that, again, is keeping you farther away from healing. So how yeah. badly do you want to heal? That's, That's the beautiful. answer. And like, uh, if your intention is to move on, why is your attention towards people who are associated with him or his social media page? Yeah, that's beautiful. That's so great. Yay. And um, everybody, you can hear more of that, more of that wisdom. And you are hilarious. I love that you swear. I swear all the time. And I. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you're just a breath of fresh air. It's so oh. great. And I can see how you're helpful to every age, really. Um, and, and what you're bringing to the table is really, is really refreshing. So tell them about where they can find your podcast. And again, tell them the name of your podcast Ooh. and your website. Thank you. And thank you again for so much for having me. And I think what the work that you are doing and sharing your story is incredible as well. And I just feel like we were destined to connect and I can't wait for our talk and I can't wait to have you on my podcast. So thank you, Bridget. Yeah. You can find me at claireburncoaching.com. That's Claire with an I and burn is B as in boy, Y-R-N-E. Um, and my podcast is called how to stop wanting him back. If anyone's interested in working with me, I offer free one hour consultations. So there's no strings attached and I can get a better idea of 
what's going on with you and how I would approach moving forward and working together. And I can honestly say the transformation from victim story to heroine story was really through my coaching work. So um, you get to change your story anytime and really every circumstance in your life is neutral and you get to make it an amazing one or you can make it a devastating sad one and you will play that out if you attach to the sad story. It's a choice. I love it. I love and it's it. scary. And look, and people say to me, I know I get it intellectually, but it's really hard. And I'm like, yes. yeah, duh. That's why you're working with the coach. And that's why <laughs> I work with two. It's so hard to retrain your brain to think differently when you've been thinking thoughts for however many years. And I have one client who says, you know, she was just like, well, why do I keep thinking the negative? Why? And like, that's really where therapy is, comes into play, connecting the dots from childhood to present. But I also think why am I like this is a tricky question to ask yourself because it's inviting judgment and inviting the idea that there's something wrong with you. And I think at the end of the day, the bottom line is you're longing for him or you're still butthurt about the situation. You're still devastated about the situation. So that just is what it is. So why don't we just start right here right now and shift that? We don't have to get into the why. We don't have to judge the pain. We don't have to judge how long it's taking you. We just get to show up right here right now and start creating the wiggle room with our brains to shift it. And it's a practice every single day in the same way that you go to the gym five times a week to give yourself a stronger body, put pen to paper 15 minutes a day with your mind and shift that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thich Nhat Hanh, I have at the end of my book, what you just said, love is, you know, love is a practice and all of this is a practice, but, and loving ourselves and loving others, it's, it's all a practice. Like you were saying, I loved how I showed up in my relationship. I love this about myself in this relationship, but it's still, it's a practice every single day. Every single day. And I still have pockets that come up. You know, there was something that came up with a co my coach, my personal coach. And I was frustrated with this one particular person who's close to me in my life. And she said, you know, well, if she showed up, Ooh, that's thunder. Um, she said, if she showed up, um, if this person showed up and did all the things that you wanted her to do for you to feel better, what would you need to believe? And I literally was like, that I matter. Oh. <laughs> literally three weeks ago. So like, I'm like, wait, I'm not supposed to be thinking this anymore. I have to know that I matter because I've been doing this work for so long. And that's why I said earlier, the work is never done. And there will always be little like you know, the finger tap on the shoulder from the universe being like, oh, you think that you matter? Well, we're going to show you that there's still some cleaning up to do here. Yes. And just play with it and be curious and be easy on yourself. Like who cares that in that moment, I was like, oh, there's still a part of me that didn't feel like I mattered in that moment. Okay. That's interesting. How do I get to do the work on me to decide that I matter no matter how anybody else treats me? That's a perfect thing to end on, right? Yay! Loving ourselves no matter what. Say thank you so much and thank you for for offering to be there on April 4th for that special Yay! day. It's so gonna be amazing. Everybody join us on April 4th. If you're listening to this app after April 4th, 2019, just go find all the other exciting You missed things. out. Yeah, you missed out. So there's no reason to go on. <laughs> Get Bridget's book if you haven't. She's just amazing. Superhero of love. Uh, amazing. And is thank my you, story Claire. as well. So thank you so much.